Summertime begins on the 28th, <laughs> and so the winter is over, and the winter's retreat is about a week left. <clears throat> just that perception of the English winter, you know, like, like that, because uh, England has this you know, this image worldwide of being cold, wet, rainy, damp, dreary, bleak. And I think the English are the ones that that spread this all around a lot, more than anyone else. Now, there's a perception, you know, when we think of a particular country, we have, we have a certain kind of mental image of it. So, uh, England is kind of stuck with this one. English winter time, you know, it's not usually a time where the tourists like to visit. And, uh, but for, uh, for me, meditation is always a special time because of it is, uh, because subdued time. And I like to tune in to this kind of minimalist atmosphere of winter where everything is is uh, nature is resting and there's not a great kind of demand made on on one to to go out and delight in the beautiful colors and pleasures of nature one is a very time where the like hibernation or time to go inward so Winter's retreat has always been, uh, I prefer to spend winter in England than anywhere else in the world, actually. I could arrange my life so I could spend the winter months in Thailand if I wanted. Because those are the best weather in, in Thailand is during December, January, <coughs> February, starting to get hot. March now, Probably blazing, blazing hot in Thailand. So, kind of reflective ability, you know, we, we change our attitude from the standard propaganda, the, 
the conventional perceptions of ourselves and the world we live in and uh, the cultural conditioning of the mind and our biases and prejudices when we these begin to fall away from us because we're, we're no, no longer operating from positions from from uh, blinded by uh, conditioned attitudes and we're beginning to recognize or wake up and realize the, the reality uh, that through awareness so I've been uh, reflecting a lot in the mornings on the, the axis mundi the, the center point or the still point of the turning world uh, this ability we have when we you know are aware and no longer caught in the striving tendencies controlling mind and and habits emotional habits and perceptions these and opinions and we begin to recognize that which underlies everything the stillness that contains all the uh, movement and change and energies that's a you know, the aim of meditation really is to be able to recognize this because it's not something uh, difficult or remote or something depending on uh, special conditions, but it's easily overlooked as the momentum of habit. The power of the sense world and and our conditioning through the through the through our attachment through the conditions that we're experiencing blind us to that reality. So, like uh, when you talk about purity, you know, this word purity is, uh, I've reflected on this. What is, what is purity then in this moment? Or what is love, unconditioned love in this moment? Uh, concepts like this. And then, of course, this is uh, taking these these words that are very common and ordinary English words and uh, not defining them, not trying to, or, you know, explain them in any way, but to realize them. What, at this moment, uh, what, what is what is absolutely pure at this moment now and in terms of my realization it's this awareness this awareness always brings me into this allows me to realize the natural state of purity that I'm always with that's always present never absent but which when I'm not mindful, then I'm caught in the conditioning of my mind. I used to contemplate, can I ever become really pure as a person, you know, as a, you know, can I purify myself as a person, as a personality? And so, you you know, this desperate attempt to try to get rid of bad thoughts, dirty thoughts, 
negative states, impurities of the mind, uh, uh, through personal uh, aversion to them, trying to uh, resist them or destroy them. And uh, no matter how uh, determined and committed I am to destroying the evil forces, and uh, I never seem to be very successful at it on the personal level. So that's why personality is not where it's at, is it? It's not, you can't make your personality pure. It's, uh, it's just because that's not its nature. Personality is conditioned, the rise and ceases, it, depending on other conditions. Uh, its very nature is change, it has qualities, it has good and bad, right and wrong, uh, beauty and ugliness and the, the light side and the dark side. Or trying to find a pure relationship with somebody else or a place that's absolutely pure, you know, a perfect monastic community or ashram or something like that, a perfect teacher, pure, uh, selfless teacher. And these are ideals we might have in looking for purity as if it was something separate from us or something we didn't have that we had to uh, find and, and by getting rid of our impurity. I notice on this winter's retreat, the the emphasis has been on this awareness, not trying to purify yourself or make yourself become better, even as a person, or purer, but to trust yourself in a simple, imminent act of awareness. It's opening to the present. It's very simple. It's not something you create and and uh, depending on refined levels of concentration and an ideal condition. Once you discover your original purity, then it's with you know it's with you all the time. So it's never you're never going to lose it, even if you become a mass murderer or criminal, mafia, rapist. Whatever, it's still, purity is still present. It's, it's indestructible. So then, when we, when we recognize that, and that, and that is merely through awareness. Or unconditioned love. You know, people, a lot of people like to talk about love all the time. And, uh, seeking love. And uh, we want love. We want loving relationships, and we want to to feel loved and be loved and to love and so forth. So, is love something dependent on condition? You know, or the, there's a kind of you know the word is used for all kinds of things. So, in English, it's a it's a highly powerful word. Uh, so it can be just a sentimental kind of longing for finding somebody that that you fall in love with, have a romantic uh, 
relationship with intimacy and and that with with another human being but that kind of love is easily you know is easily depends on other conditions supporting it it's, it can easily change into hatred but unconditioned love then talking about in, in the, using english unconditioned love it has it's not based on conditions you know you and i having affinities or getting along with each other or or anything you know that is dependent on personal quality so what is that then what is it in this moment that embraces everything unconditionally and it's not you know no matter what you do or how nasty you are that unconditioned love is still present so then that to me that is the reality of awareness so what i'm doing like taking these terms and then i'm applying to the present moment not as some kind of uh ideals that we would like to that we would love to find sometime or or realize sometime through uh, hard work and committed practice and so forth or you know trying to find the perfect conditions where we can experience this so like the awareness then sati sampatanya sati panya is the you know this is the refuge we have every moment here and now sometimes in then you know we make meditation look like a process of you know attaining of step by step uh progress and that's how the thinking mind works so when we think about meditation and read this suttas and abhidhamma and so forth we we get this impression of the first stage second stage third stage and uh in this way we because the thought process is limited to that linear process that's how we perceive the world through through our thinking through our thoughts through our conditioned perceptions of the world so then the liberation from that is learning to trust in this awareness which is an intuitive moment and apperception ability to receive this moment as it is in all it that is present you know in oneself or externally uh good bad right wrong pleasant painful pure or impure so i found this way of reflecting you know very it's a, you know it's it's very meaningful to me because my mind is conditioned through ideals of wanting to attain and and the and the inspiring teachings of the buddha one can aspire to nibbana as if it was some 
very high state, very difficult to get, very rare, and, uh, you know, something, you know, that seems on a personal level almost unobtainable. When I fall back into my personality again, it seems unobtainable. Because my personality is created out of avicca or ignorance of Dhamma. So it, it sees things in, you know, uh, in that linear way. So it, Nibbana is very, you know, high. And then, then I'm, that my personality is conditioned in a certain way to, to be very critical of myself and the world around me. So as a personality, it, you know, it's a very, it's, it's, you know, it, it sees things, uh, you know, in my think, way that I think sometimes, in my emotional habits, that I find uh, I'm very critical of. I don't like a lot of things that are part of my personality. I don't approve of them. I can, uh, you know, they're not nice or mature or uh, reactions, emotional reactions or memories or thoughts or tendencies on that level. So when I'm caught in just the personality mode, then I'm bound to, to that way of perceiving life, which makes Nibbana look almost like an impossibility. But Nibbana is just another word, you know, not an English word even. So you're bringing a, a kind of foreign word into the English context. And uh, and it's popularly used now. They use the word Nirvana a lot for being, you know, like heaven. And they say, oh, it's just Nirvana means it's, I'm just, it's so refined and beautiful. But then, the Buddha wasn't pointing to an extremity uh, in the conditioned realm as some attainable goal that we should aim for. And so this is, is pointing to reality, to Dhamma, to what is real, not some a refined, abstract idea called Nibbāna. So then we reflect, what is Nibbāna now? And then the personality can say, well, I don't know what it is, I'm just, you know, I'm just beginner of meditation, or I'm somebody who's been practicing, but I haven't even realized path yet, and and uh, I'm still got so many kilesas and defilements and things that it's, uh, you know, I don't know if I can make it in this life. I have to probably, you know, have ten more lifetimes being born in a suitable situation to be ordained as a samana and then work my way through ten more, maybe ten million more lifetimes. Sometimes on a personal level it seems seems like that. Though we can completely kind of overwhelm ourselves with despair when when we're looking at, at some ideal that's very high from a personal relationship to that ideal one feels quite distant. 
But that's not the point of awareness, is it? Awareness isn't, isn't, uh, isn't about ideals, but about opening to the present the way it is. And so our real nature then is peace, purity, love. And the reality of that, letting go of these other uh, deluded attachments is Nibbana. When we, when we realize non-attachment to the five, in terms of Theravada, uh, terminology, it's, uh, freeing ourselves from the delusions we create, uh, the identities we have of the five Kanda. So you see, the, the Buddha is, is, this is such an immediate and direct teaching. You know, it's not, I think, you know, it's so direct that, that it's hard to understand because our thinking mind will complicate it. And then we don't trust ourselves. Personally, we, we have so many opinions and views about ourselves and our abilities that we, that we, um, and we believe them. So these, you know, uh, that we have a lot of greed, hatred and delusion, lust and anger and things like this. This is true but not right, right but not true. But like trying to get rid of greed, hatred, and delusion by, uh, you know, through, uh, through trying to destroy it, you know, as some ideal that you've got to get rid of it, is not, you'll never succeed. It's like greed, hatred, and delusion, you know, there is not, you know, if we're looking, identifying with the five khandhas, then all we're going to see is that we are kind of bound into into these three conditions all the time. Because the personality is conditioned by greed, hatred, and delusion. And that's why it's, it's uh, the urgent message is to free yourself from this mistaken identity, the personality, the Sakaya Ditti, or the ego, that we so strongly uh, identify with. If this is our modus operandi, you know, I operate always from uh, this ego, then if I, no matter how diligent, how determined I practice meditation, I'm still going to end up feeling disappointed. Because I'm never going to succeed in getting rid of greed, hatred, and delusion. So it's not, that's not the problem. Greed, hatred, and delusion are not the problem. It's the heedless lack of awareness, the ignorance. And so then, it, and this the Buddha made very clear in the teachings that, that greed, hatred, and delusion 
or desire. Uh, these are not uh, conditions that you know that that we can get rid of, but we can see them for what they are. So this awakening and the the, the awakened, the Bhutto, the the Buddha, or like the refuge, Bhutang Sarangachami, this Bhutto means simply the, our ability to pay attention to life here and now in this present moment. So taking refuge in Buddha is very simple. It is just wake up. Be here. Be present. Open to this. Open yourself. Don't, don't get caught in trying to analyze yourself on a personal level or, or create endless complexities about who you are and what you should or shouldn't be or your attainments or lack of them. But to trust yourself to just open to, to this moment, to even the, the sense of itself. So, like, awareness is the ability to, you know, receive the ego, to accept the ego conditions, the, the greed, hatred, and delusion, the, and, and all the complexities of the conditioned realm. It's receptive and accepting. It's not judging. It's not liking or disliking. It is just recognizing. So, in, in awareness, this is a sati and panya. The panya is a discerning ability. You know, so it's not a kind of lost in a in a kind of high state of bliss, but it, the discernment, the panya, is our be, a, ability to discern, to see clearly, and it's not is not a critical function. When we get back into thinking again, then we I get back into being critical. Because on the conventional level, this is bigger than that. This, there's, this, <laughs> there's day and there's night and, and I like, I like the mornings better than the evenings and, and uh, English winters and, and so forth. <laughs> I get into personal preferences and, and uh, comparisons, criticism about how this is better than that. This is right and that's wrong. Now, recognize that the awareness, they put, always put these two words together, sati panya and then sati sampachanya. So, when there is sati sampachanya and then panya, it operates, the ability to see things as they are. That's discerning. It's not it's not, even if the, the way it is for you, if it's a negative, miserable state of mind, Panya is not criticizing, it's not saying you shouldn't feel like this. It's discerning, it's like this. Feeling miserable is like this. The way it is, you know, so it's, it's discerning and it allows it to be received and accepted in consciousness. And in that acceptance, then 
you're not you you're not attaching to it. You're not struggling, resisting it, identifying with it. It is what it is. It's direct, honest, clearly discerned. And therefore you recognize that it's present and then it it's it it has no nothing to sustain it, so it ceases. So, on this winter's retreat, you know, the emphasis uh, I've made is, is trying to uh, empower you, put it in modern New Age jargon, or uh, <laughs> to encourage you. Uh, this is the, 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 the big problem we have is the lack of trust in ourselves. You know, our own ability to see clearly, because we, we always limit ourselves in ourselves through through uh, our perceptions of ourselves, which tend to be critical. So even in countries like Thailand or Sri Lanka, you talk to even monks, and they'll say, you know. I've talked to monks in Thailand who say, well, you know, you can't realize Nibbana. Don't, one monk even told me not to talk anymore about Nibbana. One Abhidhamma teacher, a woman in Bangkok, told me I talk about Nibbana too much. I shouldn't talk about it. And, uh, and Anatta, some people criticize me for teaching or talking about Anatta. Because, uh, you know, this, to them, their, their Buddhism or their way of relating Buddhism is through attachment to concepts and, and, uh, views about Buddhism, views about Dhamma. But uh, views about Dhamma, is that Dhamma in, in that sense? Is that the liberating Dhamma? Have a particular viewpoint about Buddha's teaching? If it's still coming from avicca or from personal, from the personality, the way the mind's conditioned. I, I know my, I'm from a background, uh, which it was, I was brought up as a Christian. Though so I have a, you know, culturally conditioned Christian view, which tends to be very dualistic. Well, heaven and hell are totally separate from each other, and uh, good and bad tend to be yeah, absolute evil. You know, like people ask, do you think there's a, a kind of permanent evil force in the universe? You know, people have asked me this. The force of evil. you think that that there is a kind of Maybe kind of force that's evil in the universe that's permanent. Because sometimes it seems so, or some kind of devil or satanic energy that's, that is always around. And so, and then the, the Christian conditioning says, well, uh, you know, that you know, you question, well, why, if God created everything, why did God create Satan, Lucifer? 
you know, it would have been better if he hadn't done that. And uh, then the answer is always never very satisfactory to that question. I never got a good answer from for that question. But um, so that when you're seeing God is good, you know, and and that God is good, and he and he is always referred to in the masculine. He created everything. Well, then everything should be good, logically, isn't it? <laughs> and why why isn't everything good? And then they seem to say, well, because humans are sinners, so it's our fault. <laughs> uh, it's hard to get around all these these because uh, you're thinking again, isn't it, in in this dualistic way. Uh, of good opposed to evil. So, and the, notice that the Buddha teaching, his his the way he taught in the, through the Four Noble Truths, is is, is not pointing to, um, you know, seeing dukkha as or the first noble truth is some some kind of flaw in humanity that we've got to. Uh, somehow get rid of, but to understand, to reflect upon, to recognize the causes of suffering, since that's the most ordinary human experience that we all have. They're taking something very banal and ordinary like human suffering and using it as a, as a noble truth. And then to to reflect on it, to see it, to to study it becomes a noble truth rather than a miserable truth. So the awareness then is not good or bad. You know, you're getting beyond the adjectives or the dualisms of thought. You know, just through through trusting yourself with awareness, you're you're transcending these dualisms. It can it doesn't mean that you're that you're turning your back on the world, but it means you you're taking refuge in what is real, that which is real, where good and evil can be seen, can be recognized as conditions that arise and cease according to other conditions. So in the Buddhist uh, terms, like of itabhajyata, the uh, things, uh, condition phenomena is dependent. Evil conditions arise when they're the conditions for that particular quality to manifest. You know, so it's a matter of of conditioning, not some kind of kind of evil. Force, the permanent force in the, in kind of circulating around the universe that we, that's chasing us all the time. But it's through aware, because in awareness it contains, it allows good and evil to coexist. Not, not saying, uh, not judging good and saying, this, we like this, and this is what you should be, and bad, you should, 
destroy it. But it discerns the good when the conditions for goodness are present, then this is what we experience. Goodness through the conditioned world, through the mind, through the body, through the society. When the conditions uh, for evil, then this is what we experience. The evil forces that thoughts and feelings in, in our minds or in others or in the society, in the world. And now you can see this is a time when there's a lot of evil conditions arising. And internationally, there's so much fear. And you can tell now after the Madrid uh, bombing last week, where the Al-Qaeda, <coughs> you know, set off all these these bombs in the uh, Madrid uh, railway and during the time when everybody was going to work, 7.30 in the morning. So hundreds were killed in this blast and injured. And then, of course, everybody says, the Al-Qaeda is evil. We've got to get rid of them. And because that's the way everybody's thinking, this dualistic thing. We've got to uh, destroy the terrorists. So you, you can see where the way the international scene is is so caught up in this fear and uh, this, this determination to destroy evil that it actually is perpetuating evil. committing evil acts in the name of goodness. Because the conditions are present for this and internationally. And of course, you know, Britain is a prime target for for terrorism now from Al-Qaeda. So you, you can feel, you know, this kind of growing fear uh, in the society. Of when, is, when is it our turn? When is London going to get it. And so they've increased all the secret services and the police and the secret agents that haunt the London underground these days. Probably, you know, checking you out to see what you've got underneath your robes. (laughs) That's quite indignant, isn't it? Undignified. They might think we're terrorists. But then this is the result of ignorance, not understanding the way things are. So this is our opportunity, isn't it? To get to the basic root of the problem. You know, you can't very well expect the British government to operate from an enlightened uh, understanding of Dhamma. You know, and especially if you can't, if you aren't doing it. You know, complain about Tony Blair, George Bush, uh, you know, that they shouldn't be doing this. And yet we do it all the time. Too. We're caught, we're in the same boat, really. Until we learn to trust in this awareness. then it, 
least, you know, you're getting to the source. It begins in, in here. You know, and it manifests outward into society and internationally. So, see this opportunity, you know, that we have here. This is the, you know, getting to the source. Getting to where the, the, we have, you know, where the problems begin is through this ignorance, this attachment to views and opinions, to uh, ideas, to um, political views, to racial views, um, all kinds of views, you know, being identified in any way with with the conditioned realm, this blind attachment and identity with it. Conditioning, you know, we're identified so much with the body. So we, you know, we, you know, we're identified with our own body. So if our body is white or black, we, we see ourselves in that way. I'm a white person. You're a black person. Male or female, you know. So we identify with the, with the gender. With our sexual organs. So we become men and women. And we identify with, uh, with our, how we look, whether we're considered beautiful or not, or young or old, or fat or thin, or... Well, these are all strong identities that, that we regard as reality. And then we have, uh, we're attached to, to the things that, the, the emotional, the way, you know, the emotional habits that we have. We attach to the, uh, social conditioning, what class and so forth, and that becomes our identity. And on and on like that. So these are, and on this level, it's always back into the, Maelstrom, confusion, which is better, best, good, bad, right, wrong, is Al-Qaeda evil and the United States good, or is it reversed, is Al-Qaeda good and the United States evil, are they both evil? And they're both uh, fighting in the name of God, you know, so, so God becomes, you know, takes sides. God is on my side. And this is all done through this attachment to views, opinions, thoughts. Even attachment to Buddhism is an obstruction. So when we, we you know, we, we, we have strong Buddhists in the Buddhist world, you have very strong views about which is the true Buddhism, which is the real Buddhism, which is the pure, which is the original, which is the advanced. So, you know, just because we have have a, a an excellent teaching doesn't mean we use it very well. <clears throat> So if we just attach to to our to our particular form of Buddhism, 
and then compare other forms with it in order to put them down, that's not, you know, that's still ignorance and the result will always be dukkha or suffering. So the, you know, the Buddha wasn't trying to, to make us into Buddhists, but awaken us. So this is, you know, the, the, the directness of it. It's not becoming someone who adopts the Buddhist, uh, way of thinking or Buddhist concept, but is actually using those, the Buddhist teaching for awakening. And that isn't through grasping them, but through putting them, internalizing them, like purity. What is purity right now? What is Nibbana right now? What is Bhutto? What is Buddha right now? Well, some people think that Theravada teaches and then the Tibetans teach like this and then the Vajrayanas and the Mahayanas and the Savastavadans and we can become, you know, go to, go to universities and um, take course on Buddhism and you can learn all about different ways of different Buddhist traditions. And still not understand what Buddha is in any practical way. So that's why in, in the morning reflections getting to take this, this mantra puto, which, uh, and, and then not just use it as a, as a, just a repetitive, uh, sound, but, you know, what is it now? It's, so, is a, the, uh, the awakened one, here and now, that which is awake in us right now, awake up, calls to awakening. Because that is a real refuge. The more you trust in awakeness, you, you, you know, the more you really trust it and, and really treasure it, then, uh, then it is a refuge. It, it will serve you. It will, whatever conditions you have to experience in your karma, you know, in what kind of health and what happens to you and, and uh, the things that happen uh, you know, both pleasant and unpleasant. The refuge is, is always a refuge. It's always here and now. It's never something that, that will desert you. You may desert it is the only problem. So at first it seems rather you know, one can understand uh, what I'm saying. Uh, it's, it's not that difficult on that level of intellect. This is where the encouragement is, is, is like when we talk about meditation. It's merely this simple ability to, to recognize awareness, to be aware. So for me, when I, uh, when I, you know, because of, I've found words like relaxing. Because when I first started, you know, I was trying to be aware. I, I got, I had the word mindfulness, 
And you've got to be mindful. You've got to develop mindfulness. So I've got to be mindful. And I, you know, I didn't quite know what it meant actually, but I thought if I really worked at it hard, you know, really, you know, like striving to be mindful, making myself to be mindful, that that would, uh, that was the way to do it. That's the only way I knew how to do anything at the time. You know, when I first started meditation, all I knew how to do was to to willfully do things. And the idea of practicing hard, really, you know, sitting for hours and forcing my mind to concentrate and, and uh, you know, hard work pays off is the, is the, is the adage in America, you know, the work ethic. The more you sit, the more you work, you get, you get the good reward for that. So, all this willful effort just gave me headaches and frustration. Because, you know, I was trying, I didn't really know what mindfulness was. And I had a kind of vague kind of idea that it, you know, but I didn't really, I didn't really have the insight or the real, the reality of awareness until I learned to trust myself a little more, not just try to, to get something that, that I, that, that they called mindfulness, that I wasn't quite sure what it was. But I began to reflect, what is it then, right now? Rather than it's something I don't have now, that I've got to get, giving up that, that way of thinking to trusting myself to, to notice, to witness. If I stop trying to get it, you know, then, then the, the mind, you know, if you start relaxing and and just this sense of awakened, att- like attention, relaxed attention, opening, receptivity. These kind of words I found quite soothing because they were, they would counter, were counter to the striving, attaining, achieving habits that were so highly developed in me. I used to have really, you know, early days, I used to practice so hard, you know, that sometimes, you know, you just drive yourself like to the point and then suddenly you'd have a breakthrough. And you would have, I would have insight. But then, then I, then the panya wasn't so strong because I kept thinking that was what you had to do. You had to keep, it was like hitting your head on a brick wall so that then it felt so good when you stopped. You know, so just by by ma- making myself totally miserable and finally giving up in the end, that very act of giving up was was it, isn't it? Just stopping this 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 willful, obsessive tendency, just stopping and letting go of it, and then suddenly. I feel this sense of 
awareness. So then the mind connected that awareness you had to do, you had to really, you know, strive in this way so that eventually it would just kind of come at you when you, you know, I didn't quite connect this, the fact of having given up striving was, was the, was the way. So, then of course one, one, you know, people identify their, their insights with techniques, with, with, uh, you know, working hard, with sitting a lot, with striving a lot. Rather than trusting themselves, in every moment, whether you're sitting in formal meditation or in your room or, uh, you know, taking a shower, eating your meal, putting on your clothes or whatever, mindfulness is not, you know, it doesn't preclude mindfulness. That it's available all the time. Learning to recognize, like in my own experience, as I trusted my mind, I began to, to not really, to recognize it. It becomes very strong because it's very natural. It's not a created state. It's not refined. You know, it's not something dependent on, on things, uh, pleasant environments and quietude. It's a natural state of being. So it is like, like, it's not, not something precious that you're going to lose. <coughs> Because it's so delicate and dependent upon, you know, peace and quiet and, and, uh, lack of irritation and demand on you. But it's learning, when you recognize or realize, then of course it's, uh, you, you, you begin to, you see the path. The path, the eightfold path becomes apparent. It's real, it's, it's direct, very clear, it's not a kind of uh, abstract ideal of some remote possibility of an eightfold path. So just learning to, to recognize that the eightfold path is here and now. You know, it's not, not something, uh, beyond your ability. So the personality, you might think it is. And, and you might, conceive yourself as in various ways of inability or uh, whatever, but don't believe it. You know, that that is the condition conditioning of the mind. That is the ego. That is the sakyaditi, the self view. So everyone can do it. You know, you don't even have, you don't have to be a monk or a nun. This is available to us all. Every moment. <laughs> and of course the reality of it is it's an insight, you know, something you really know 
you know the, the, when you have that insight and you really you really this is it you know it is a gut kind of knowledge it's not I think it I think I know what it is because you've got some maybe clear idea of what it might be so this 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 insight is is uh you know this is it might be just a flash you know and then you go back into the old patterns of me and mine and delusion but once you had that you know it'll it'll still has its effect even if you forget about it you know because it is a a profound moment so don't you know because I know you've you've had insight insight but and sometimes you but it's so easy to fall back into the momentum of habits and just and then feel, oh, I, you know, I understood, or I thought I understood, but now I don't know where I'm at anymore, and the, get caught up in that kind of of habit, the self-view. So this is where just challenging that, you know, that no matter how uh, strong my emotions can be, underlying that is the awareness, and that's what I trust. Because the awareness accepts emotions. Uh, one time I even saw myself, one time I was in a terrible emotional state, really in despair, crying on the floor. And yet I saw that that wasn't me. That was a habit pattern. What is it that sees, you know, uh, that is aware that even when your emotions have, have seemed to have been completely lost, when you seem to, you know, how it might look, I was totally lost in this emotion, totally overwhelmed and committed to this emotional habit, and yet there was an awareness of it. So this is, uh, you know, the emotional nature is, uh, you know, isn't a rational function of the mind. It is what it is. You know, you, you hear, I heard sad news, I feel sad. I hear good news, I feel good. No matter how mindful I am, it's just the way it is. You know, you hear, uh, you know, somebody uh, jeers at me and calls me a terrible name. I feel it. I still feel that. But there's awareness is my refuge, not not the not the feeling. So it's not like you you become a kind of blank zombie through awareness. But you know, so the emotional life still operates, but it's no longer an identity, no longer your reality. It is what it is. When one sees or hears something very sad, then it's like this. The sadness is like this. An awareness that embraces sadness, but isn't sad itself. 
I used to contemplate in anger. Uh, anger would arise. Awareness of this anger, you know, this feeling of anger. Is this awareness angry? You know, I'm inquiring, I investigate it. I began to see, no, awareness never gets angry. <laughs> so then what, what's the point, you know, where's the refuge, in the anger or in the awareness? Well, when, when I don't know this, when I'm caught in the, in identity with anger, then I become angry person. But if I, my refuge is in awareness, then the, then the anger is what it is. It still, you know, it still feels like this, but, but I, I don't take refuge in it, either through, through grasping or trying to get rid of it. You know, trying to suppress it or destroy it. So, you know, this is a realm that is like this. It's a sense realm, feeling realm. Everything, you know, we're in this constant state of, of sensitivity or a whole lifetime from the time you're born to the time you, you drop dead. This is sensitivity. It's pleasure, pain, you know, and so forth. It's just the way this realm is. Our relationship then to this realm isn't picking and choosing or judging or condemning or complaining, but understanding it. And so what becomes the strong refuge is awareness. If you trust that awareness, it starts, it's a sustainable state if you learn to recognize it. It sustains itself. You don't have to, to do anything to, you know, to try to make it happen or create it. And once you recognize it, realize it, then it's the natural state of being that we experience through consciousness. And so, then you can actually, you know, then, and that will allow the conditions to operate according to their nature. It discerns, it knows, but it doesn't identify anymore with, or pick or choose or judge the condition. So on the level of, of, uh, simple action and speech, you know, the sila, do good, do that which is good, refrain from acting on that which isn't. So our commitment to to uh, the conventional realm is to do good and refrain from doing evil. And as the panya increases, as we uh, and the, the mindfulness and the panya become are strong, then there is a spontaneity. You know, it's it's a way of you know our our true nature is love. So it's it's based on compassion rather than you know feeling. Uh, denying evil or refusing to act on it, we, our relationship to the world, the conditioned realm is metta, karuna, mudita, upeka.
So, this is for reflection this evening. Hope I've convinced you. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, uh, just, uh, you know, when you, uh, realize it's, it's your true nature, it's, it's, it's not something, you know, remote or impossible. You might think it is. They're your thought present. Don't trust your thoughts. They can't be trusted. The only thing you've got left is your intuition. And that's awareness. And then trust that. Intuition isn't like, it doesn't come from, um, from the personality. It's a, it's our, it's a universal intelligence. It's a, it's not a personal acquisition. <clears throat>